0: Well thanks for being at Grace. I hope you had a, a great, great Christmas. How many of you have overeaten? And you're a little bit groggy? You feel a little heavy? Yeah, I'm with you. So, but we're, we are so glad that you're here. We've been in this series, uh, uh, Christmas at Grace. And we've also been doing this initiative, uh, you've been blessed. Uh, you've been gifted, I'm sorry, cards that we've been handing out in our community. and I, I just want you to know, not only have we done that all month, but uh, I report back just to you a little bit and just thank you for your generosity uh, to people in our community around the world. Uh, As you know, we support missions like missionaries like other churches do, and we've we've always done that. But in addition to that, uh, our church, you, uh, support two orphanages in Thailand and also orphans in the Central African Republic that we help churches take care of orphans uh, over there. And uh, that's between eighty and hundred thousand dollars every year that goes away from here, just to orphans. Not to mention uh, over a hundred thousand to the rest of our missions. And that's just a, just wanted again. Thank you for your generosity. It doesn't all just go to some place around the world. Uh, we also have a food pantry that is accessed by people in our community every single week, week in, week out, day in, day out, all through the year. And, uh, and, and then there's also acts of generosity. We've been emphasizing that with the you Been Gifting Cards, but it just happens through our church. For example, in the last couple of months, I know twice somebody in our church has given a car to somebody that they didn't know that we helped connect them with, and uh, they didn't even know them but just knew they needed transportation. And, and stuff like that happens at Grace. And again, thank you for your generosity. There, I've been sharing some stories and, and there's, we get a lot of stories about people giving cards and being involved, and in, you've been gifted. kind of wanted to, to share one. It's from a little different perspective. Uh, this was emailed in by a couple uh, who, a couple of months ago, were kind of against church God and everything else, and been coming to grace, and, and God's doing something in their hearts. And, and here's, here's how this goes. Uh, my boyfriend and I went to Applebee's to go out to eat t- together after finding a lost gift card in the desk drawer that had $14 on it. So it was, woo! And uh, so we were super excited and uh, knew that we'd been blessed and we went out and ate and then when the bill came we, we, we paid and left and, and after they leave uh, the young lady asked the guy well how much did we spend with the card and, and he said well it was only like $13. And then they, they're, they, as they're leaving and driving away they're kind of doing the math and they're realizing that their bill should have been a lot higher than that, and that they actually got the bill of somebody else. And uh, that was a lower bill, that they, needed, they, they really owed more money. And so they had one of these dilemmas, like, should we go back and fix that or not? And basically, this email talks about how two months ago, they would have never even considered going back, but now that they, they decided that they really ought to go back and make that right, so, uh, so the boyfriend called and talked to the manager and told him that they received somebody else's bill. And when they came clean and said, you know, we actually, at first, the manager thought that they were overcharged and he said, no, no, actually, we underpaid and we like to come and pay the difference. And the manager said, okay, yeah, stop on in. And um, then it goes this way. And when we got back to the restaurant and talked face to face with the manager about how we felt bad and we underpaid and wanted to make it up, he looked really touch touched and he didn't accept a dime. Then he put two $10 gift cards in our hands and told us he really appreciated us being honest and and then we felt so much better. I knew right then uh, what I had to do was to pass on our blessing to someone else. And we're regulars at a place called uh, Diana's, Diana's Deli. And they say they've been going there for four years and there's this middle-aged, hardworking woman who works there and she always Uh, you know, treats them very well. And when we finished lunch, uh, we were ready to leave. She came to check up on us, and we said everything was great. And then I got courageous and told her, our church is doing, you've been gifted, and you've been on my heart, and I'd like you to have this. You're such a hard worker and a sweetheart. And Gave them the cards. And she took them and blushed and said, aw, thanks, guys. And And then she gave us both a big hug. That hug made me realize that loving one another, being honest with ourselves and God, that that's what's important. Her hug made us feel much more rich than any job or presence ever could. We've been seeing changes in ourselves since we've been coming to grace. And just being honest when you've underpaid can come with a multitude of blessings. Isn't that a great... A great story for people uh, who are new at Grace. What I've noticed about Christmas is that a lot of times when the Christmas day hits, uh, most people are filled with wonder and joy. And again, we have this tradition that started with Christians giving gifts because realizing we've received the greatest gift. But some people, their experience at Christmas is a lot different. Sometimes it's a time of emptiness and loneliness and and sadness because they don't have maybe people, they've lost loved ones and they don't have them to share it with. And sometimes the circumstances of Christmas can be hard on people. And sometimes when people experience pain and suffering and loss, uh, those types of circumstances could even cause people to doubt God. And it's not just the circumstances it's circumstances that they're experiencing coupled with the expectations that they have for God. And that leaves people sometimes with doubts, lingering doubts about God. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. and it's, uh, We're reading that out of Matthew chapter 11. And uh, Matthew records an incident that happened uh, with John the Baptist. And I want to read that to you. It starts in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. Here's how it goes. And now John, while imprisoned, heard the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear." The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, if you've ever had a crisis of faith, this passage should absolve you of some guilt. Because in this passage, we have John the Baptist the one who introduced Christ's ministry, introduced Christ to the world. He is going through difficult times and he's having his own crisis of faith and he's in prison. Things are not going the way he thought they would go and the ministry of the Messiah, the Christ, is not going the way that that he expected that to go either. So his circumstances are are down, they're, they're difficult, they're hard his expectations of what Jesus would be doing aren't quite being met. And so he has this crisis of faith and he sends some of his buddies, his followers to go to Jesus and ask him, are you the Messiah or shall we expect another? It's almost like John is in prison saying, go ask Jesus one more time, is he the Messiah? Just, I just gotta hear it one more time. And so that's what happens. And we know that uh, from John's perspective, you know, he's thinking, wow, well, I've, I've, I've tried to be faithful, I've, I've done the things that I think God wants me to do, and now I'm suffering for it, and I just don't really understand what's going on. And, and sometimes, and maybe most of us, have talked to people who reject Jesus, reject God because of pain in their life, because of tough circumstances. And sometimes it's real personal. Well, why did this happen to me? I can't believe in God that this would happen. And sometimes it's less personal and more theoretical where people are just kind of doing the, well, you know, why would God allow pain and suffering that we see in the universe, you know, if he was really in control of things. And, and so I'm, I'm doubting God. But from this passage, there are three truths that we need to know and understand. First of all, we need to just come to grips with the fact that circumstances and expectations can sometimes cause people to doubt God. So we get that. That's what we're seeing right here. That happened to John, and that happening to John is huge. Because remember now, John is the cousin of Jesus Christ. He was the one he's known Jesus all his life. He introduced when Jesus was 30 years old, and John's a six months older, but about that time, he's introducing John to the world as a Messiah. He baptized Jesus. He's, and, and at that baptism, the Father and the Holy Spirit showed up besides Jesus the Son. So he's there through all of that. But what's happening is, Jesus begins his ministry, John is faithfully preaching God's Word. And there was a a king at the time, which was Herod Antipas, which is Herod the Great of the, the Christmas story. It's his son, and he had several sons. And Herod had visited his brother, Herod Philip. And when he visited Philip, he fell in love with Philip's wife, Herodias. And he fell in love with her. He actually talked her into leaving his brother and coming to live with Herod, and she did that. And so he's living with As man and wife, his brother's wife. John the Baptist is out in, in the rural areas preaching and people are flocking to him. And this is a very public kind of a scandal thing that's happening in the country. And John the Baptist is publicly preaching that that is wrong. Herod is wrong. He has his brother's wife. And I don't know if you know, if you think about kingdoms and the way things went, People usually weren't crying out and preaching against the king. And so that caused kind of an issue. And Herod and, and his wife Herodias, new wife, they didn't appreciate that. And so the next thing you know, John's been thrown into prison. And it's even a prison that they kind of take him out of Palestine across on the other side of the, the Dead Sea. Kind of a re- more remote outpost. They imprisoned John And, you know, he's in chains and and he's thinking, this is not going the way I thought. Because when they were reading the Old Testament and waiting for the Messiah, they knew that the Messiah would bring salvation and deliverance and healing mainly to Israel, but also to the whole world. But then the other side of what they were waiting for, and they thought it was all tied together, was Judgment. And righteousness and taking his place on the throne that he would overthrow evil and make everything right. So John sees the salvation part coming and sees the good things that Jesus is doing. But where's the judgment? Why, why is all this evil happening? Why isn't the Messiah claiming the throne and making things right? What? This is not going the way I thought. And we know the disciples had the same issues. They're going, what's going on here? We're not getting this. And that's how how sometimes our circumstances and our expectations of what we think God should be doing can cause us to have doubts. Well, because we have the wrong expectation of God and we can get tripped up by... our circumstances and expectations today in, in the same way. Like I said, sometimes it's real personal. Something bad happens to me. If there was a God, he wouldn't allow it. You know, classic example is Ted Turner, kind of a leading atheist. You know, he, when he was young, when he was a teenager, he was planning to be a missionary. And then his older sister at 16 died. And then he saw that and he was like, well, there can't be a God. And then the rest of his life, he denied God and was an outspoken atheist because of that personal pain he experienced in his life. For some people, it's more theoretical. And that's when we're talking to people about God, and, and, and it, it's kind of uncomfortable about thinking that there, there's a God that you're responsible to, that you should obey, who's over you, who, who you owe your allegiance to. And then people kind of write God off, and they use it theoretically by saying, well, it's, it's that triangle that, you know, well, if there's evil in the world and God's all good and powerful, how can that possibly be? How many of you ever, ever heard people say that to you or in some form of that? Yeah, people are, are spouting that off all the time. It's this difficult triangle. And then in order to solve it, they think one part of the triangle has to go away. Either God's not all powerful or God's not completely good. Or, you know, there really isn't evil and suffering. I mean, something has to give. Some piece of the triangle needs to go away. But really, we know that it's held in tension. We know that God has a plan. Why is there evil and suffering? We talked a little bit about it recently. Well, because God has given us freedom. Here's what God's saying that, that people miss so often. God's saying that the world we live in now that has evil and suffering temporarily... Because of the freedom that God has given us, which is a good gift, being misused. Because he's given us freedom, we have evil and suffering temporarily, that this world is superior to a world that has no free will and therefore no evil and suffering. God's saying that this world, with evil and suffering, is the best way To get to the best of all possible worlds in the future after God deals with evil and suffering. When God deals with that, we take into that new world all the virtues that we experience because of evil. But then evil is finally dealt with. So it's the best of all possible worlds. If we didn't have suffering and evil now, we would not experience all the virtues that, that we see around us today. What we call, we wouldn't experience goodness. Nobody could be selfless because there would be no sacrifice to give. That, that would mean that you would create a want. There would be no courage because nobody could get hurt. So what's courageous about running into a, a burning building if it's impossible for you to be hurt? So all the virtues we see are because we are putting ourselves at risk of evil or suffering. So, does that make sense? This world, God says, free will is worth the risk because the good that free... But free will brings evil, makes evil possible, yes. But it also makes good possible that the good would not be possible if there were no, was no free will and no suffering and evil, no possibility of that. There would be no virtue. So God has made this as a way... To get through, and once we've all experienced this, and God deals with evil once and for all, we will experience the best of all possible worlds where we carry virtue in, but we don't have the evil and suffering anymore. That's the deal. We got that right? So that's how you're going to answer your friend next time that you talk to him. You got it? Okay, good. Good. I'm glad. That's, that's good stuff. Now, here's the deal. Second truth circumstances and expectation can cause us to, to doubt God. But here's, what, here's the problem with that. Is when we doubt God because of that, we're starting with ourselves. We're looking around at what we're experiencing, what we think God should be like, and because of that, we have doubts about the God that's revealed in Scripture. Okay, second truth is this. If you want to encounter the real Jesus... You must start with Jesus, not your circumstances or your expectations. We have to start with Jesus, not whatever we're going through or what we think God should be like. We need to start with Jesus and how he revealed himself in history and in the world. So that's, and in the word. So that's what we need to do. That's, and that's what John does. It's kind of amazing. Here John he knows Jesus personally. He, he kind of was there when Christ's ministry was launched at the very beginning. Now he's suffering. He's having a you know a tough, he's in a tough spot, things are going bad, it's not the way he pictured it. And, and he's basically saying, Hey, are you for real? Tell me one more time, are you for real? Are you the Messiah? I know if I was John, and maybe you can relate to this. I would probably be approaching this completely differently. I'd be like, hey, go go find Jesus and then say that that John said this. Hey, cousin, cousin Jesus, I'm hurting over here. Do something, make these bars melt away. Get me out of this prison, fix this problem. This is not going well. Can you intervene for me? Because I know you can do it. No. John doesn't start with himself. He sends his messengers. It doesn't say anything about John's situation. He starts with the right person and he asks the right question. Rather than focusing on the stuff he's going through, he says, go find Jesus and ask him, are you the one? Tell me again. And there's, you know, it's reflected away. He sees, he's asking the right question, he's responding in the right way. But so many today ask the wrong question. They have a crisis of faith because they read an article or they watch some documentary on TV or something about evolution or whatever it is, and all of a sudden they start having a crisis of faith. They start kind of having doubts. Today, When people interact and think about God, they tend to start with themselves rather than start with the historical revealed Jesus. You know, we've probably all talked to people and they kind of have this attitude. Well, yeah, I've I've heard about Jesus. But you know what? Tell me if you've ever heard this because I get this quite a bit. I'll believe in Jesus when he shows up in my life. It's kind of like, well, if Jesus really existed, well, then, you know, he would do this or he would do this or he wouldn't allow this he, or this would happen or he will show up to me. He will dramatically reveal himself personally to me. He will do something for me. Anybody get that kind of feedback when you're talking to somebody? Yeah. And by the way, Jesus has dramatically done something for all of us. He has intervened in all of our lives. It's just we don't all accept it. So that's, we got to start with him, not with us, not with our expectations of what Jesus should do. Because if we don't, if we start with ourselves, when people say, hey, I want Jesus to show up in life, why doesn't he do something for me? What they're looking for, they're not looking for God there. What they're looking for is a really, really, really good personal assistant who can take care of their problems and solve some of their issues. They're not looking for God. They're just looking for some help so that they can. But the whole goal of that is they want to live their lives like we're all prone to do in their own selfish for whatever they want to live for. And people live their lives for all different things. And when this is the most apparent, I think... It's at funerals. At funerals, people eulogize the deceased. And so you could not know a person very well and just sit in on a funeral. And just by being there, you can kind of get a feeling for what their entire life was about. And so people will stand up and eulogize somebody and they'll say, She was a great mom. She lived for her family. Or they'll they'll be there. They'll they'll say, "You know, he was just a great businessman. I mean, he was an organizer. Anything he touched, he could make a profit. He's just a great, great businessman." Our lives should be about Jesus. I mean, we, we can hear that, and we will get a snapshot of what someone's life if you listen to the whole thing about what they wrap their lives around. And nothing holds a candle to Jesus. Nothing. And sometimes it's really sad. I mean, you'll be at a funeral, and basically all you'll hear is, man, he was a great Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> wow. How sad is that? I mean, his whole life, that's what you remember. He was a great, great Cleveland Browns fan. I can give that to him. Oh! Make your life about something greater than yourself. Live for a cause that will outlive you. Take part in God's unfolding story of the redemption of mankind. That's what God has for you. That's your purpose if you're a believer. That's what God wants. The other thing is, notice Jesus is not put off by the question. It's kind of insulting. John the Baptist, Jesus, you are the one, right? Got to hear it again. Third truth, encounter the real Jesus by considering his impact and embracing his offensiveness. But where am I, I, get, where, where am I getting that? That's how Jesus answers the question. Go ask Jesus if he's the one. I got to hear it. And then Jesus says, tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. The gospel is preached to the poor. He says, First of all, he's saying there, consider my impact. Consider what's happening. I think that's water running into our old building. But anyway, (laughs) he's saying, consider my impact. He answers John's messengers basically by saying, hey, broken people have become whole. I was thinking about this, and uh, it kind of reminded me of something that happened. About a month ago, Pam and I decided that we were going to celebrate Christmas a little bit early. We knew we had family coming in for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so we got a couple of pieces of furniture for Pam and a new 4K Ultra HD TV for me All right, so that I mounted above our fireplace. Very cool. And so I was all excited about that. But about the time I mounted that TV, our how we got our normal channels kind of went on the kaput, and I wasn't getting any channels. And by the way, you can't even get Ultra stuff through a lot of these channels, so it didn't really matter. But I wanted to see something in Ultra, and there's not that much stuff in Ultra. So I signed up for something called Netflix. How many do Netflix? So I got Netflix, and Netflix has a few things that are Ultra HD, I mean, it, it's cool. And one of the, and so I'm watching something, you know, first it was nature stuff. Oh, nature. Wow. You know, and I got one of these because I was standing in Walmart looking at these. And, wow. But anyway, so I get one of these. And then the other thing, they just have a few shows and uh, they have the Patriot. And then they have this show that I'd never heard of called The Flash. And so I start watching yeah, we got a Flash. Yeah, so I start watching The Flash. I watch like a whole season. I have nothing else to watch. I watch like a whole season of Flash over the next few weeks. And and then I'm, I'm realizing how enamored we are with superheroes. You know, it was the comic books, and now it's all the movies. you got your Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, you know, all these superheroes going on. And then I started noticing, and, and, and we got The Flash. And so I was thinking about all that, and I was thinking, you know, if if superpowers really existed, there's a couple, couple of points to that. Number one, I'm thinking if I had the superpowers, I'd probably use, an, use some of that for me. I mean, I'm thinking uh, some of these, power, I mean, I might do some good stuff, I would hope so, but sometimes I'm doing some stuff just that I wanna do. I, I don't know, how about you? I would just, I would kinda use them selfishly. And, so I'm thinking I wouldn't be a great superhero guy because the show it about. Hey, I'm going to go check out the Grand Canyon. Or I'm going to, you know, who knows what I'd be doing? But it be, it just wouldn't be the best. But here's the thing about superheroes: what makes for a great movie is that superheroes always use their powers, whatever power they have, in order to fight against evil. So the whole movie is the battle of the superhero good against evil. Think about that. By the way, there's, there's a superhero movie. I think there's a movie coming out, Batman against Superman. Batman better eat his Wheaties. Superman, how, what are you, you going to do against Superman? But anyway, so, but they use their powers. I don't know what that's about, but they normally use their powers to do good. They bat, it's always a fight. It's always a battle to fight evil. Now think, of, this is the way human nature is. This is the way we think about it. So now we go to Jesus. Could you imagine making Jesus into one of our culture's superheroes? Because what's the movie going to be about? What Jesus does? He uses all his power to heal broken people. There's no fighting. There's no battle. He's just over and over helping broken people. But see, if we were superheroes, I guarantee you, we would find some way to use our powers to benefit ourselves. But Jesus is completely different. He uses all his power, his eternal supernatural power, in order to benefit other people and not himself. And because of that, by the way, because he told the truth about who he is, people, some people would say about Jesus, he talks like an egomaniac. He's saying he's God. He's saying he created. And so some people might think that Jesus talks like an egomaniac. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus never acted like an egomaniac. Never acted like an egomaniac. Always acting, always doing to help other people. That's the Jesus as he's revealed himself to us. And 2,000 years later, today, when people encounter the real Jesus, he's still healing broken people every day, right now, all around us. So if we want to encounter the real Jesus first, we need to be about considering his impact. But the second thing is we need to be Considering his offensiveness. Did you catch the last verse? Blessed is he who's not offended. at This has got to be the weirdest beatitude, right? Blessed is he who's not offended by me. Here's the thing. Jesus knows he's offensive to people because of what he says. He gets that. He's not put off by John asking the question. He's just saying, go tell him the impact I'm making and embrace me without being offended is basically what he's saying. It's the same when we're talking to people today. When we're talking about people about accepting Christ, the people who, you know, he's a historical figure, I may mean, have to deal with him, so he existed. There's no serious person that doubts that. And we know what he teaches. We have first century eyewitness accounts, four of them. I mean, so that we have fragments from the first century. We know when they were written. I mean, it's just amazing. But people, here's the deal. And what people start doing is they'll say, well, when Jesus says that God is love, I like that. And when Jesus says don't judge others, I like that. And when Jesus says, hey, get the beam out of your own eye, you know, before you start telling other people what. Everybody loves that. They loved it then. They love it now. But when Jesus says, I am God, people don't like that. They hated it. When Jesus says, I and my father are one, people hate it. When Jesus says in John 14, no one can come to God But through me, I'm the only way. When he started making exclusive claims like that, people hated it and they still hate it right now. They hate that. Exclusiveness. One way type of thinking. Here's the deal. We've got to receive or reject Jesus for who? He said he was. Because there's so many times when you're talking to somebody about Jesus and it's like they've kind of made up their own version. You know what I'm saying? They sort of made up their own version of who they think Jesus is and he's a pretty nice guy. And by the way, he's pretty okay with them too. But that's not real. I was recently kind of rereading C.S. Lewis. I normally don't quote passages but this is just too good to pass up. So I'm going to actually read you. This is different, story time. I'm going to read you from C.S. Lewis. This is The Case for Christianity. Now, I'm going to read, and I'm going to read like almost two pages. Are you going to hang? Okay, you're going to be awake. You're not going to zone on me, right? Because this is good, and it gets better and better toward the end. All right, I was just going to read the end, but it's just too good. It builds. All right, you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Now we're ready. Okay, here's... That is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended. Civilizations are built up. Excellent institutions are devised. But each time, something goes wrong. Some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top, and it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks. It seems to start up all right and it runs a few yards and then it breaks down. They're trying to run it on the wrong juice. That's what Satan has done to us humans. And what did God do? Well, first of all, he left us conscience, the sense of right and wrong. And all through history, there have been people trying and some of them very hard to obey it. None of them ever quite succeeded. Secondly, he sent the human race what I call good dreams. I mean, those queer stories scattered all through the heathen religions about a God who dies and comes to life again. And by his death, he has somehow given new life to men. Thirdly, he selected one particular people and spent several centuries hammering into their heads the sort of God he was, that there was only one of him and that he cared about right conduct. Those people were the Jews. And the Old Testament gives an account of the hammering process. Then comes the real shock. Among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. He says he's always existed. He says he's coming to judge the world at the end of time. Now, let us get this clear. Among pantheists like the Indians, anyone might say that he was a part of God or one with God. There'd be nothing very odd about it. But this man, since he was a Jew, couldn't mean that kind of God. God in their language meant the being outside the world who had made it and was infinitely different from anything else. And when you've grasped that, you will see that what this man said was, quite simply, the most shocking thing that's ever been uttered by human lips. Here's the best part. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we mustn't say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. That's brilliant. C.S. Lewis, he's telling us we've got to accept Jesus for who he is. And that's what John was getting to in his crisis of faith. Who? He sends word, are you the one? And Jesus isn't offended by it. And that's where we need to start anytime we have doubts about God. Don't look at our own circumstances or what we're temporarily going through. Put our eyes back on Jesus. Who was he? What does the evidence say? That's what we have to do. We have to start with him every single time. And here's what I'm telling you. If you're going... To reject Jesus, at least have the decency to call him wildly wicked or crazy as a loon. But don't make up in your own mind a Jesus who's a lot like Mr. Rogers and said a lot of really nice things and reject him. Because that Jesus doesn't exist and never did. You have to look back on the historical Jesus that was revealed in history and choose or reject him for who he said he was. Don't come to him with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. (laughs) Because he didn't leave that open to us. And he didn't intend to. I know in a crowd this size that there are some of you sitting here friends and you've never really put your faith in Christ alone as your Savior. And what the Bible says is there's only two groups. We talked about this last time. Those who have received them, those who, haven't. Those who have placed their faith in Christ, and those who haven't done that. And what we need to remember is that Jesus, you know, when he said he was coming back to judge the world, he wasn't kidding. It just hasn't happened yet. And the reason he delays is it's just grace. It's just God's patience with us, allowing us time to repent, to turn away from our own selfish way of living and turn to him by putting our faith in the Son. And if you haven't done that yet, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond that way. There's no better day than today. The moment that you place your faith, or your trust, or your belief, same, same idea. The moment you place your faith in Jesus, who he was, son of God, and what he did, died for your sins, that's the moment you become a true Christian. But you have to do that knowing that you're not adding anything to that equation. If you're okay with Jesus, but you also think I'm a pretty good guy, and I come to church regularly, and I've been baptized here or somebody somewhere else, and all these things, and I'm a pretty good citizen, and I'm a pretty good husband, and I pay my tax, you know, whatever you're thinking, none of that, no good deed can outweigh, can make up for one even one bad thing that you've done, and we've all done a lot of bad things. It's just faith in Christ. And we know that's real when we want to follow him, not as a way of earning salvation, just as a response to his love and what he's done for us. So I'd like everyone to bow your heads right now. And uh, what I'm gonna do is, if you're ready to place your faith in Christ, I mean, that's, that's the key. You can express that to God through a prayer. Sometimes we call that the sinner's prayer, prayer of salvation. And I would invite you to not only place your trust in Christ, but but sort of tell God. And I'm not here to embarrass anybody, and I I wouldn't do that. And so I just wanna lead you in a prayer. And uh, if you're not 100% sure where you stand with God, Place your trust in Jesus alone, realizing you're not bringing anything to the table, that it's a pure gift, and he'll come into your life. And do that with a desire to follow him. That's repentance. And so just, you can pray this to God. You can pray, you don't even have to say it. You can just pray silently because God knows your every thought. So if you're ready to make that decision, express it to God like this these thoughts in your own words. Father God, I I understand, I admit that I have sinned against you, I've done wrong, and that wrong is against you, I've I've actually rebelled against you, like everybody else. And God, I also understand that, I understand that you love me, and inexplicably you, you love me more than I could ever realize. and and you haven't just loved me with words, you've actually loved me with action, really sacrificed at great cost. That Father, you allowed your one and only son, Jesus, to, to come to his creation, to clothe himself in human flesh and to allow himself to be tortured to death in payment of my personal sin. And God, I thank you for that. And I'm placing my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. There's nothing else I can offer. And God, also, I want you to come into my life and and help me to live for something greater than myself. Help me to quit living selfishly, but help me to follow you. Lord, that's the repentance part. Lord, just turn my life around a changed mind about Jesus that leads to changed action. And God, basically, I just want to thank you for loving me and for making it possible for me to be forgiven through the greatest gift of the universe, your son. In Christ's name. Appreciate everyone being here. We have a a room right in the back corner of our auditorium there that's labeled room one. And if you have any questions about your relationship with God or or maybe you said that prayer or maybe you didn't feel like you were ready to do that, uh, we're here. There will be several, myself and other pastors will be in the room and we'll answer any question that you have. We'll happily do that. If you don't have time to talk or maybe you just don't feel like talking to some pastor you don't know. Uh, You can just come in and say, hey, I want one of those booklets or pamphlets, and we'll hand you something that you can read in the privacy of your own home that sort of describes this. We won't bother you. If you don't have time to talk, just say, don't have time to talk? I would just like a pamphlet. Just give me one of those booklets, and we'll be happy to do that. Let's all stand together. We are so glad that you came to church this Christmas weekend. Uh, We are starting a brand new series next week And you're not going to want to miss the beginning of it. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So see you next Sunday. Thanks for being here. Merry Christmas. You're dismissed.